Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. In our last program, we began our march through the Ten Commandments of Almighty God as treated in the in brief statements of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Superstition is a deviation of cult of the worship that we give to the true God. It splinters into idolatry, also into the different forms of divination and magic. Stevie Wonder, some years ago, had a song about superstition, as did Ricky Martin. Walking under a ladder, a black cat crossing your path, a broken mirror. These are different superstitions, and there are others all of which are hooey, all of which are contrary to faith in the God of providence, faith in the good God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sins against faith in the one only God. That superstition is a deviation of cult, a deviation of worship, means we're giving, attributing divine powers to things which are not God. Idolatry. So often, when idolatry is mentioned, we think of the idols, people of bygone ages or our own age worship things which are not God. In Nashville, at the Parthenon, they have Athena's statue with Mercury in her hand. This is an idol. I don't know anyone who worships it. Some people might worship their 401k or their retirement account or their fancy home or watch or car. What idols do we have? What idols do we need to get rid of, to remove from our lives that we might focus on the one only, the one true God? Divination, trying to foretell the future or magic, trying to change things of our own power or by powers which are not our own, but which are not God. If you recall all the uproar when Harry Potter books and movies were released. The only good thing we can say is that the highest form of magic, according to J.K. Rowling, is love, the sacrificial love Harry's mother showed for him. At least they celebrated Christmas at Hogwarts. Tempting God in words or in acts. Sacrilege, simony. These are sins of irreligion interdicted or forbidden by the first commandment. We saw an attempt when our Lord was in the desert for 40 days before his public ministry began when Satan tempted him. Cast yourself off the parapet of the temple. The angels will guard you. But the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, he refused to submit to this temptation. Tempting God and acts, oh God is my helper, my shield, my protector. I can just walk out into traffic without looking left and right. Oh, God will take care of me. I don't need to put on my seatbelt. Well, let's not be fools. Let's use the good gray matter the good God gave us. Sacrilege. These are crimes against persons, places, or things of God. So the divine persons themselves to blaspheme is a sacrilege against the holy name of God, but more on that in the second commandment. A sacrilege against a holy place, desecration of churches. How many times have rocks been hurled through beautiful windows or statues defaced or 
Even churches burnt down, God forbid. These are all sacrilegious acts. To tear up the sacred scriptures, there was some, quote, artist, unquote, called Maplethorpe some years ago, and he depicted sacrilegious things in what he was passing off as art, desecrating the crucifix. Sacrilegious communion would be to receive or attempt to receive Holy Communion with serious sin on one's soul. A sacrilegious confession would be making a confession without disclosing all the serious sins of which one is conscious. Simony is a sin which takes its name from the Acts of the Apostles. Simon Magnus witnessed the miracles by the Apostles and said, Wow, that's some kind of trick. Wouldn't I like to know how to do that? I'll, I'm willing to pay you guys if you'll explain to me, if you'll teach me how to do that. And St. Peter, the first bishop of Rome, said, You cannot buy what is holy. So the sin of simony is an attempt to buy and or sell that which is holy. Famously, there was trouble in a bygone age attempting to sell and or buy indulgences here we see the sin of simony writ large. Sins of irreligion, interdicted, forbidden by the first commandment. This is not an exhaustive list. There are other sins forbidden by the first commandment, but we're doing well if we avoid these. In that which rejects or refuses the existence of God, atheism is a sin against the first commandment atheism denying the existence of God because the first commandment to have no gods but God affirms faith in God atheism rejects the affirmation of God the cult of holy images is founded on the mystery of the incarnation of the word of God it is not against the first commandment this is a big thing for Roman Catholics since we have statues in our churches depicting our Lord and his Blessed Mother, so many of his saints who are his great friends, the plaster or the wood, the different depictions, the marble, we know they're not God, but they remind us of God and of the great friends of the Lord. In the Eastern Church, icons are the call of the day, images which remind us of heavenly realities. Likewise, we do not worship the wood the icon is painted on, or written on, or the paint. These are seen as windows into heaven, windows to the divine. But we know the icon is not God. But since God became like us in all things but sin, to save us from our sins, because Jesus Christ is true God and true man, because he has a human body with eyes and an ears, and nose, a face, so tall, so wide, he can be depicted, and so too his many friends, whom we call the saints. There's a special sin related to the veneration of holy images, icons. It's called iconoclasm. For those of us who are familiar with using computer software, there are icons on our desktop which we click in order to access the program. 
when we see an icon, a depiction of Jesus Christ or of one of his saints, we use them in an attempt to open our hearts and minds to that divine communication, to speak with God, to lift our, our souls, to listen to the voice of God, sometimes a still small voice. The iconoclast sought to break, to crush, to shatter the images. The second commandment of God, not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Psalm 8 verse 2 reads, O Lord our God, how great is your name in all the universe. So often people hear of the commandments of God, and they say, so negative. Know this, know that. Well, here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church presents the second commandment in a positive light. Lord, your name is great in all the universe. We honor, we love, we revere your holy name, because it is your name Almighty God, you who are all good, all holy, deserving all our respect, so to your name, which symbolizes your very self. The second commandment prescribes respect for the name of the Lord. It calls for respect. The name of the Lord is holy. The second commandment interdicts or forbids all improper usage of the name of God to blaspheme consists in using the name of God, of Jesus Christ, of the Virgin Mary, and of all the saints in a fashion which is abusive. Part of this presentation is obvious. The name of God, God, the name of Jesus Christ, who is God, one with the Father and the Spirit, Holy Trinity, Lord, these two, names of God, Yahweh. But when the Catechism draws our attention to the holy name of the Virgin Mary, or the name of the saints who are God's holy friends, this is an extension. But you can see the logic of it. Because if the Virgin Mary is the mother of God, and she is, and if she and the other saints are the friends of God, and they are, who of us would want anyone making fun of or ridiculing mocking our friends, none of us. All the more so, does God not want us to mock or disregard or disrespect his great friends, his own mother? So we venerate the holy name of Mary, we love the holy names of the holy saints, and so many of us are named after various saints. False oaths call God to witness a lie. Perjury is a grave omission towards the Lord who is always faithful to his promise. How often have we heard in the school ground or elsewhere, I swear to God. Well, only when it is necessary, only when it is true. Perjury is a false oath, invoking God, asking God to bear witness, even when we know it's false all the more a sin. The Catechism of the Catholic Church cites St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, in his spiritual exercises. Do not swear either by the Creator, nor by a creature, if it is not with truth, if it is not with necessity, if it is not with reverence. Three criteria for an oath. 
So no frivolity here, for serious reasons necessary, with reverence, due respect for the holy name invoked, and only to bear witness to the truth. In baptism, the Christian receives his name in the church. The parents and the godparents and the priest take care that the name which is given is a Christian first name. The patronage of a saint offers a model of charity and assures his prayer. Here, this passage of the Catechism of the Catholic Church expands what is found in the 1983 Code of Canon Law, which just directed that the name not be foreign to Christian sensibilities. The idea being, don't name your child Lucifer or Satan, although Lucifer does mean the light bearer, and Jesus is the light of the world. Better for us to have a Christian name. My name is John. John the Baptist, John the Evangelist, Jean-Marie Baptiste Vianney, John Bosco, John Chrysostom, John of Avila. How many different saints John? And I am assured of their intercession for me. And I can say to myself, what would Saint John do if he were in my shoes in the here and now? What a consolation, what a comfort. The parents, the godparents, and the priest are to take care, a model of charity and assurance of prayers. Another name can be taken further in the sacrament of confirmation. So, a baptismal name and a confirmation name. Sometimes a theological virtue. When I was in college, some of my classmates had beautiful names. One girl in one family is called Faith. And the other was, her sister was called Hope. If she had had a third sister, she could have been called Charity. Their family name actually was Divine. Faith Divine, Hope Divine. Perhaps one of them will have a daughter, Charity Divine. The Christian commences his prayers and his actions by the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here, in this last line, presenting the second commandment of God, not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain, the holy name of the Trinity, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, three divine persons, one only God. When we invoke the Holy Trinity in this fashion in our prayers, we accompany it with a physical gesture, tracing the cross on our bodies from our head to our breast from our left to our right shoulder because the one only God who has adopted us in baptism has saved us by the incarnation the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus who died on the cross which we trace on our bodies and we're only able to invoke the one true God by the power of the Spirit who lets us cry out Abba Father Jesus is Lord. God calls each one by his name. So says the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verse 1. The third commandment of God is to keep holy the Sabbath. The Spanish people abbreviate the third commandment by saying, Sanctificarlas las fiestas. Keep holy the parties. What do you do when you go to a party? You go to someone's house. You talk, you have some food and drink, you go home. When we keep holy the Sabbath, we go to God's house, 
We speak to him in our prayers, and he speaks to us in the sacred scriptures. He feeds us with his very body and blood from the altar, and we repair to our own homes even as we await definitive entry into our heavenly homeland. Observe the day of the Sabbath, for he sanctifies it. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 12. The seventh day is the day of complete rest, consecrated to the Lord. Exodus, chapter 31, verse 15. To say that the Sabbath day is consecrated to the Lord means it's set aside. We're reminded in the Gospels that there are six days for work. We are to rest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which represents the achievement of the first creation, is replaced by Sunday, which recalls the new creation inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ. It takes a little bit to get our minds around this. Sunday is the first day of the week. So, when our Lord first created the heavens and the earth, all that is seen and unseen, it was on a Sunday, and... On the resurrection day, the new creation began. Christ, the firstborn of the new creation. Up until the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, 33 AD, give or take a week, the Sabbath was observed on Saturday as the Jews, the pious Jews, still do. But as the apostolic tradition, from the time of the apostles, Christians have observed the Sabbath on Sunday in honor of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, as well as in honor of the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, being the patron of our parish here in Knoxville. The church celebrates the day of the resurrection of Christ on the eighth day, which is called, with good reason, the day of the Lord, Dies Domine, or Sunday. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing the Second Vatican Council's Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, Article 107. It's eight days from the Sabbath before. All Sundays must be observed in the entire church as the principal feast day of precept. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing the 1983 Code of Canon Law, Canon 1246. There are other days of precept, more on them in a moment. All Sundays must be observed in the entire church as the principal feast day of precept. On Sunday and the other feast days of precept, the faithful are bound by obligation to participate in the Mass. Again, the Catechism here cites the Code of Canon Law, 1983, Canon 1247. Not only is it a joy and a privilege, it's a responsibility, it's an obligation we have to render worship to God. The virtue of justice is to give each their due, and God has his due, and we also have our due, our right, to worship. And not only a right, a responsibility, an obligation to do just that. On Sundays, or the other days of precept, the faithful abstain from work and of the affairs which impede the cult of God, the worship of God, the proper joy of the day of the Lord, or suitable relaxation of spirit and the body. Some years ago, Pope John Paul II even wrote 
a special instruction on how to keep holy the Sabbath, he entitled his letter Dies Domine, meaning the Day of the Lord. If we do not worship God on Sundays and days of precept, we have impeded the worship of God. If we just do our regular day-in and day-out work, we may deprive ourselves of a certain joy proper to the day of the Lord, who made us for eternal joy on high. If we do not relax our minds and our bodies, we will not have the wherewithal for the week to come. Here, this way, the good God has built into the rhythm of nature that necessary rest we need as we await eternal rest. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing, again, the 1983 Code of Canon Law, Canon 1247. The institution of Sunday contributes to that in which all rejoice in times of rest and sufficient leisure, permitting the cultivation of family, cultural, social, and religious life. These are yet further ways we keep holy the Sabbath, not only the worship of God, but also cultivating family life, spending time together as a family, cultural life, spending time absorbed with the arts, music, drama, literature, social life, visiting with friends, with the greater society, and of course religious life, special devotions on the day of the Lord, works of mercy, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, clothing the naked, praying for the living and the dead, burying the dead. The last passage here, in, in brief statements, treating the third commandment of God, goes like this. Each Christian must avoid imposing without necessity on another that which impedes the keeping of the day of the Lord. There are children, young people alive today, who do not even know what a blue law is. Not to be a prude, but would that we had some blue laws. God bless our friends at Chick-fil-A, who close their stores on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, commemorating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They have been blessed. If we can do our shopping on the other days of the week, then we'll have more time to rest our weary selves, as well as the employees at the various stores, establishments. Then they too can spend time in relaxation and worship without necessity. Maybe the doctors and the nurses, maybe the police and the firemen need to be on call or at their stations. But do we always have to be buying gas or buying groceries on Sunday, on the day of the Lord? Let us do what we can to keep holy the Sabbath ourselves and to help others likewise to do the same. These first three commandments of God to keep holy the Sabbath, to honor the holy name of God and to have no other gods but God, these are the first three of the big ten commandments, the first three pertaining to Almighty God himself, while the last seven commandments treat love we have for our neighbor and for ourselves because of God. We can only keep these commandments by the grace God gives us, beginning in holy baptism, renewed at the altar in holy communion, 
and in the confessional with the sacramental absolution. Lord God, from the times we have been unfaithful to you, we ask you to have mercy on us, to convert us more and more. Give us the grace we need to be saints in these our days, that we might be found pleasing in your sight, that we might hear those blessed words, good and faithful servant, share your master's joy. Having gone over the first three of the Big Ten Commandments, it's good here to pause to remember how the commandments are divided. Three and seven, four and six, five and five. Lutherans and Catholics follow St. Augustine's division of the commandments of God, three and seven. So often, the first commandment is divided by so many Protestant Christians and Jewish people into two. Have no gods but God, and to not have any graven images and worship them. The trouble with this division of the first commandment into two is that if you want to come out with ten, that means you have to compress two others. And so often, those which are compressed are the ninth and the tenth commandments, not to covet your neighbor's wife, not to covet your neighbor's goods, thereby making the gal the goods of the guy. St. Augustine led the charge, letting the gals have their own commandment, not to covet your neighbor's wife, distinct from not to covet your neighbor's goods. This recognizes the dignity of the human person. We'll go over the 6th and ninth Commandments and the 7th and 10th Commandment in a future program. So often in sacred art, there are different depictions of the Decalogue of the Commandments, the Tablets of Moses. Catholic depictions normally prefer the three and seven, the first three commandments, how we show our love for God, his holy name, his holy day, and the last seven, love for our neighbor and ourselves. When we have the five and five depiction, which are even tablets, it reminds us of the Pentateuchal structure of the law, the five books of Moses, the Ten Commandments, five and five. These also are mirrored in the holy wounds of our Lord Jesus on the cross, his two hands, his two feet, and his side. As for the four and the six, six is the days of creation, we know, and four, uh, we can see the evangelists there. So six is really a lack of perfection, and in that sense, we know that we need God's grace to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And it is only by God's grace that we can keep even the smallest part of any of the commandments. With this in mind, please guard yourselves in prayer. Please pour out your hearts to the Lord God Most High. Ask for his grace, his power in your life, that you might be the saint you're called to be. And be assured of our prayers for you. 
In our next program, we'll continue our tour through the commandments of God, going through the fourth through the tenth commandment, to honor your father and mother, to respect life, not to kill, to respect our human sexuality, not to covet our neighbor's wife or to commit adultery, to respect our neighbor's property, not to covet or to steal it, and to not bear false witness, to only say the good things people need to hear, to say the truth in love. And that's what we've been doing in these programs. May God bless you now and always.